Brother JJ, I know you're eyeing this book. Come on and get it. <laughs> hey, come on, you can come pick it up. He uh, left it there. I can imagine feeling naked without your Bible in worship. But praise God that uh, uh, we are glad to be able to be here in our, in our worship. Thank you, Brother John. Appreciate that. It is good to see each and every one of you here. Um, and we are we are building and growing, right? Where this is um, this, through the pandemic, we, you know, there was a struggle of. Uh, you know, empty pews, and now uh, we're being able, uh, the blessing of God and, and, and different mandates to be able to come together in smaller crowds and eventually grow to uh, what we would call the old norm. But whatever it may be, uh, we're thankful to God that you're here today, both members and visitors alike. We're thankful to God for you. We're thankful to, for God, to God, to um, those who are in uh, viewing the worship through live stream. Thank you for that as well. Let's go together, please, to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for your goodness and for your compassion, for your mercy and for your care and for your love. For you, Lord God, are wonderful. You are great. You are awesome. You are kind. You are the blessed God and the blessed King. We praise your holy and divine name. We thank you, Lord God, for your written word. It means so much to us as you have given us, Lord God, your will, your commandments, and you've shown us your love. You've demonstrated your love through Jesus who died on the cruel cross of Calvary. And you showed us, Lord God, that we can live by your commandments and that your commandments, Lord God, are good. I pray, Lord God, that you'll bless us this morning to worship you, that you'll clear our minds of worldly thoughts and help us only to think about you and your word, your will and your way, and the amazing sacrifice that Jesus made that we might live, and that, Lord God, he rose up, and we thank you for that, for the resurrection. Please bless us this morning in all things. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we do pray and give thee thanks for be thy will. Amen. We're going to Romans chapter 1 first. Uh, Brother Brother Scott set the stage for this morning's lesson in, in um, picking up Jeremiah chapter uh, 15 and, and the lesson this morning and I thank him for that. It's amazing how, it's not amazing that God's word flows the way that it does, but it's amazing how the, the, the continuity happens without conversation. You know, how one thing leads to another. And so, pretty excited about that this morning. Chapter 6 of Revelation continues John's vision. Remember, we're in the throne room. So he's looking at the throne and his eyes are fixated on the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is in the likeness of a lamb. And he looks, and Jesus, who is, uh, if you will, by the Scriptures, worthy to open the seven seals. He breaks the seven seals. Every one is broken by him. And what we're about to see from this point forward in the book of Revelation is the dramatic portrayal of the world's judgment, because it's self-inflicted. This is what Rome brought upon itself, the world in its time. Keep in mind, as you read this, that uh, these things must shortly come to pass. This is not talking about thousands of years away from the context in Ro- uh, Revelation chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, though, in verse 18. God has given the world over to judgment. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Revelation chapter 6. So Jesus, uh, by way of inspiration, makes it clear that not only is he worthy, but the judgment that God brings upon the world is right. And that all of humanity, all of us, are without excuse. The whole world today, as it was in the days of the Roman Empire, as it was from the very beginning of time, all of mankind are without excuse. We can make excuses. We can tell our stories. But that story that we tell is not the one that's going to save us. We are without excuse. So when God brings and unleashes his power upon, or should I say a a portion of his power upon the world, they can't say, oh God, you are unrighteous or unjust. God makes it clear that God's message is pure and always right. And we are without excuse. So Revelation chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. And that men should slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. And when he broke the third seal, I heard a third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard, as it were, a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for Daenerys, and three quarts of barley for Daenerys. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Turn back to Zechariah chapter, chapter 6. The imagery in Revelation, the whole Bible is so connected. But when you read Revelation, the imagery that you're reading about, and we're only able to touch the surface because we're dealing with this in sermons and not necessarily a study, an open study in the text. It's found in the Old Testament. And when you go back to the Old Testament, you see the imagery, the foundation has already been laid. And so when you're sitting there and you're reading the book of Revelation, you're reading about these horses, in your mind as a Christian, having read the Word of God and studied it and known it and understood it, you reflect back and you remember what God has done in the past. And that's what gives you the energy and the strength to know that God will do it again. He will vindicate, He will bless, He will care for, He will comfort, He will bring us through this very difficult time. So in Zechariah chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Now I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming forth from between the mountains, between, excuse me, two mountains, and the mountains were bronze mountains. With the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot, black horses, with the third chariot, white horses, with the fourth chariot, strong, dappled horses. And then I spoke and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my Lord? 
And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth, with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country, and the white one goes to forth after them, while the dappled one goes forth to the south country. When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go to patrol the earth. And he said, go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried out to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. Now, these these horses, back to Revelation, please, chapter 6. These horses called the spirits of, of heaven are sent out on the earth. In the book of Revelation, when he releases these horses, though, they're sent out for disaster. Disaster upon a cruel and a wicked world. And the question that we're going to come to at the end of this uh, chapter is the question of the Bible. And we'll look at it in just a second. But first, if you will, verse verse 17. Listen to what it says. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand so i want you to think about that for just a moment think about that for just a moment today i'm going to come back to this are you ready to stand before god right now are you ready See, that's the, that's the question. That's the question of the Bible. That's the question of Revelation chapter 6. That's the question that should be on our hearts. Am I ready right now to face God, to stand before God? Are you ready? Have you lived your life in such a way? Have you become obedient to God? Have you surrendered to God in the waters of baptism? Are you ready to meet God? That's the question. When God unleashes His fiery, if you will, disastrous plagues upon Rome, would any of them be ready? Were any of them ready? And then when we leave this earth and we journey to that beautiful land beyond, are you ready? So what I want to do with the four horsemen is I want to just get, get the big picture, the four, the four horses itself. Let's get the big picture. Okay. In, in chapter uh, six, verse one, listen to what it says. And I saw when the lamb broke one of the seals, seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as it with a loud voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and went out conquering and to conquer. And someone says, well, what? Well, who's riding on the horse? Well, that's not important until we get to chapter 19. But what is important is this. You normally don't ride a white horse. In fact, no, in history, you don't ride a white horse into battle. The right horse is for the parade after the battle. But here's the point. There is absolutely no way that Jesus Christ loses. There is absolutely no way that God's people lose. Therefore, God can send a white horse into battle because the victory is already won. And so the parade is during the war. That's the beautiful part of what God is trying to say. There is no way that Rome can win. It looks like Rome is winning. It looks like Rome is everything. And the Christians, it looks like there's no way they're going to win this battle. There's no way. But God says, you've already won. And that's a reminder with the first horse. And then I want to look down, if you will, at Ezekiel chapter 14. 
Because Ezekiel 14 kind of goes with Jeremiah uh, in a way, chapter 15, where God is going to unleash his four sore judgments or four severe judgments upon the earth. And uh, the next four horses that come their way are going to be those who represent the bringing forth of God's four sore judgments or God's four severe judgments, whichever one you like to call them. Uh, but Ezekiel uh, chapter 14, I want to begin at verse 12, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 21, because I want you to get this. you got to go back and read it again. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast. Even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness they can only deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. If I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they depopulated it, and it became desolate so that no one would pass through it because of the beast. Though these three men were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the country would be desolate. Or, if I should bring a sword on that country and say, let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, They could not deliver either their sons or their daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or or if I should send a plague against the country and pour out my wrath in blood on it to cut off man and beast from it, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their son or their daughters, They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, How much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beast, and plague, to cut off man and beast from it. Now here's what I want you to get. Turn back to Revelation chapter 6. Is this. God says, Do you remember what I did to your people? You know, do you remember what I did to the Jews because of their wickedness and their evil? I am not a God of partiality. I'm going to do the same thing to Rome because of what Rome did and is doing currently. And that's what God does. He paints a picture and he sends them back to remember what he's already done to show them that what he's about to do is not only not an impossibility, but it's inevitable because God declared it. So... Verse 3 of Revelation chapter 6, the red horse. And when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come. And another, a red horse, went out to him and who sat on it. It was granted to take peace from the earth and that men should slay one another. And a great sword was given to him. Now he takes peace. So here's this, the war and, and bloodshed. 
it's unstoppable, and you might call it a civil war. In fact, when you study Rome, you'll, you'll know that Rome, uh, if you will, destroyed itself from the inside out. Everybody hated Rome. Everything was Rome, but everyone really hated Rome, and Rome had a client kingship set up. And I'll talk more about that later in our text. But, you know, Rome, 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 and everybody hated Rome. And Rome died and destroyed itself from the inside out. And I'll tell you something interesting about that. It's not the first time that God uh, sent victory to his people without his people having to fight the battle. Remember Gideon? 300 men up on top of a mountain. And all they had was a lantern and a, and a, and a, a torch, if you will. And they had a, uh, uh, this, this, this pitcher, I guess, over it. And they broke the pitcher and, and they said, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And, and what happened? The Midianites and Amalekites began to fight against each other instead of fighting against the known enemy. Also in First Samuel chapter 14, you find that Saul, Saul was, was going, leading his people in, into battle. And, and when they showed up, the Philistines were in such confusion, they were fighting each other until they, until they destroyed themselves. And Rome would be no different. And there's so many other examples you can use in the Old Testament where God uh, made a nation or caused a nation to destroy itself because it was destroying itself. And it had no excuse for its evil and wicked actions. So now, in verse 5 and in verse 6, verse 5 and verse 6, And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard, as it were, a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a Daenerys and three quarts of barley for a Daenerys. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Hmm. Famine. Famine is coming. Grief is coming. Mourning is coming. Think of famine. I go all the way back to Genesis. Think about Joseph. Think about the famine that God brings. He's, he's, I'm, I'm bringing, I'm in, unleashing my four sore judgments upon Rome itself because of its wickedness and its evil. The reason why they weigh the food is because it's scarce. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, And when he broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death and Hades, was following with him. And authority was given to him, to them, over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. And that's exactly what we just read about in Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 21. That God is unleashing, go back to Ezekiel for a moment, God is unleashing his four severe or sore judgments upon Rome because of the wickedness that they are presenting and bringing upon this world. Ezekiel 14 verse 21. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send my four severe judgments against Jerusalem, sword, famine, wild beast, and plague to cut off man and beast from it. But this time, it's not Jerusalem. This time, it's Rome. You see, this is where your confidence comes in. This is why it's so important. Turn back to Revelation chapter 6. To read the Word of God. Because in it, God has granted to us the answers to life. And the answer to what comes after life. And it increases our faith and it encourages us because God has 
pointing a picture or painting a picture rather of something that's already occurred for the future of the church. And Jesus opens every single seal. And the question that's asked again and again, verse 17 in Revelation chapter 6, is this. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, I think it's interesting, you go back and you study Ezekiel a little more in Jeremiah, this, this idea of the force or judgments of God. And notice what he says, that even righteous men couldn't save their children, couldn't save their spouses. They can only save themselves. In other words, we cannot live on the faith of someone else. Our relationship with God is a very personal relationship with God. I mean, it's personal in the sense that it's between you and me, right? In one way, we say, well, between us, but I don't have a right to sin against you because I want to have my way. My relationship with God is between me and God. And when I stand before God, I need to stand before God in a way that he tells me to. In a way that he commands me to. And I can't blame you. I can only blame myself. I have no excuse. And neither do you. Right? So watch what happens to Rome. As John is looking. And Jesus comes and opens up the next seal. In Revelation chapter 6. You begin to see now. Okay. Now I see why God is unleashing his four severe punishments or judgments upon Rome. Because Rome killed God's people. They murdered for sport. They murdered for sport the people of God, and they will not get away with it. And look at what's under the fifth seal, or within the fifth seal. In verse 9 of Revelation chapter 6, And when he broke the fifth seal, I saw... Underneath the altar, the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They ask a very significant question. Kind of showed you that they're human. They're saying, yeah, God, how, when are you going to go get them? Right? And here's what's great about this. This is what you got to understand about these souls. These souls under the altar, God's people. I want to turn to Revelation chapter 20. And I want to show you the greatness about this passage in verse 4. Revelation 20 and verse 4. This is that passage everyone goes to premillennialism and amillennialism. Look, don't miss the picture. In verse 4 it says, And I saw the thrones... And they who that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. In other words, those souls that have been martyred for Jesus are reigning with Jesus Christ. But I'll tell you something else. They were beheaded. But in Revelation chapter 6, they're talking. How do you talk without a head? You see, there's no reason to fear what Rome is bringing upon you, church. He says, hold on to Jesus. We win. That's the point. Revelation 6 and verse 11. We win. We reign victoriously because of the blood of the Lamb. Verse 11 says, and there was given to each one of them. 
a white robe and they were told they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been should be completed also. And from this verse, remember that we're looking at uh, figures of, of speech and ideas. It doesn't mean when you go to heaven we're just going to be sleeping. Someone said that. Well, we're just going to be resting in heaven. Well, that's... It's not what the Bible, you go back to, you just gotta keep reading, right? And we'll, we'll get to the rest of the way. It's not what the, that's not the picture that God is trying to paint. The picture is that they win. And they don't have to fight anymore. When you get to heaven, you don't have to fight Satan anymore. You don't have to fight Rome anymore. We don't have to fight against sin any longer. We finally get to rest. You can let your guard down for just a moment. Thank God for that, for eternity, for that matter. But if that wasn't scary enough, Sword, the famine, wild beast, pestilence. If that, if that wasn't scary enough, it's not over. I mean, that's not all that God is going to do to this, this wicked people. There's more. And there's a whole lot more, right? This, this is though, though it may feel like the end, this is not the end. There's a whole lot more. Look at the sixth seal. Revelation 6 and verse 12. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a, a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain an island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, okay, so I'm going to Hosea uh, just for a moment. The language is, even though right now you may, you may fear that emperor, Domitian, you, you might fear him, but I'm telling you that, uh, he's the one that's gonna be running afraid. God is telling us, don't worry, the victory belongs to Jesus. Now, now, the imagery of the rocks falling on them, asking, please, rocks, kill us, hide us from the presence of God, is not new. Okay, we go back to Assyria, the Assyrian conquest, and, and what's said there in verse 7, uh, Samaria will be cut off with her king like a stick on the surface of the water. Also, the high places of Avon, uh, the sin of Israel will be destroyed. Thorn and, thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. And they will say to the mountains, cover us. And to the hills, fall on us. In other words, the Assyrian captivity, there was such devastation that you can go back in your history book and go, wow, this is exactly what happened to Assyria. Assyria the great, yeah, they were brought down because of the power of God. Then, if you will, Jerusalem, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Very recent, not long ago, 
Jerusalem was just destroyed. And you go back to uh, in history and you read about it in Luke 23 and listen to what is said in verse 29. The Bible says, For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wounds that never bore and the breast that never nursed. And then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. Jesus uses the Assyrian captivity and he brings it forth into the days when Jerusalem will be destroyed. And now we're at Rome and God says, don't worry about it. Rome's going to say the exact same thing. And you just witnessed it about 30 or 40 years ago. The Bible is crystal clear that we win. See, what you're doing here today is not, I'm going back to Revelation, uh, please, chapter 8. It's not in vain. What, what you're doing today that you may have uh, conscripted, you know, in, in your minds, maybe, you know, in the past, and you said, you know, well, why do I have to go to worship? Whether, whether, you, whether you're viewing it via online, you're here today, present, and you say, well, why am I even doing this? Because this is very real. This is not a game. This is not Xbox or PlayStation. This is not a football game. This is very real. People are dying and we're going to die, every one of us. And we don't have to get a second opinion about that. And we're going to stand before the throne of God. This is very real. And God wants us to understand when we look back, we can say, you know what? You look at Rome and you look at Rome today and Rome is not power. They have no power. They're nothing. They're just another place. You can go visit and look at its beauty, if you will, and look at the history behind it. But Rome has no power. You would have told the Christians that. You said, don't worry, there's coming a time. Rome will have no power. What? No, Rome is everything. Rome is nothing. Church, this is very, very real. And even though we're reading about these things that will come upon Rome, we're not even at the end of Rome. It's not the end of time, of course, but it's not even the end of Rome because God is saying, there's more. I'm going to punish them even more. Look at Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. Listen. And when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Because in that seventh seal, you have seven trumpets and seven bowls of God's wrath. All coming upon these murderous people who destroyed the people of God. Church, never ever think in your mind that what you're doing is in vain. What you're doing right now is you are, you are sealing through the blessing of God your eternal relationship with God. Because of His grace and because of His mercy, through your dedication, through your commitment, and through your love, when trouble comes your way, which it will come, which it has already come for many of us. When we leave this earth, when that day comes for us, You stay true to God and you will understand the victory that we gain in Jesus Christ. And if our minds have not been transformed into this understanding of the greatness of what we're doing, in the sense of worshiping the one true God, you look at the throne and you realize we are worshiping the almighty God of heaven. And he's responding to our worship. And he listens to our prayers. And he knows our every struggle. And he knows our every trial. And he already has a plan in place to save us and to rescue us. And what you're doing is not in vain. And in the end, the question, who's able to stand? God's people. God's people will be able to stand. 
Can you imagine when you think about this glorious day? Please turn back to Malachi chapter 3. You think about this glorious day and you're, and you're before God and you're bowing your head like the rest of the world. And Jesus looks out upon the children of his. And he says, stand up. But not to the world, but to his people. Stand up. Enter into my rest, ye good and faithful servant. Oh, what a beautiful day that's going to be. What we don't want to hear is when he say, depart from me. You who commit iniquity. This is very real. Right? So as we read this book, I want us to understand the depth of the meaning of the text. In a generic way that brings faith into our hearts. So that we don't have to be afraid, but rather be encouraged. And that's the point of the book, to encourage us. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap turn to psalm 76 who is able to stand at the fiery ordeal that may come because of the presence of god who can stand rome can't stand caesar cannot stand The world cannot stand. Only God's people will be able to stand by his grace and by his mercy. It is the question of the Bible. Psalm 76 in verse 7. There the Bible says, Thou, even thou, art to be feared. And who may stand in thy presence when once thou art angry? And you can believe that on that day, on the judgment day, on that day, in that time, God is going to be angry. At the world. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day. In the Psalms. Chapter 7, I believe it is. Now look at Nahum. We'll begin to wrap this up. The book of Nahum for just a moment. And I want to look at uh, chapter 1 of, of Nahum. Nahum chapter 1, verse 6 and verse 7. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the burning of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken up by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And who knows those who take refuge in him? Who is able to stand? We're closing in Revelation chapter 6 one more time. God is in control. Nero's not in control. Domitian was not in control. Rome is not in control. And you are not in control. And I am not in control. Are you trying to, to stand with, against God? Meaning, in the day when God comes, will you stand against, opposed to God? Because you've been trying to do it your way. Who's able to stand? Can you save yourselves? I can't save myself can't save yourself. You have to surrender. And I know that, you know, being obstinate and rebellious is something that Israel was, but God calls us today's Israel. Don't be obstinate and rebellious. Surrender to God before it's everlasting too late. Because tell, I'm telling you, the Bible tells us you can't stand when God brings vengeance on you. And so on the day of judgment, if you have not surrendered to God in the waters of baptism, you will not be able to stand. You will not be able to stand. 
hearing his word and believing it and repenting, changing your life, turning it around, surrendering to him, confessing his name, being baptized, immersed in water. So that old man of sin dies and goes away, being buried and resurrected to a new man, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, God puts that, oh, by the way, that seal, we're going to read about that later on as well, the seal of the Holy Spirit upon you. That's what you need to be able to be recognized by God. To have your sins washed away. And children of God, if there's repentance that's necessary in your life, if you have that sin in your life and you haven't changed because you refuse, you will not be able to stand. None of us can. We cannot stand on our own merits. We cannot stand on our own feet when we're standing opposed to God. So the message in Revelation chapter 6 is surrender. Surrender and we win. Verse 17, we close. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? The lesson is yours. If we can help in any way, please make it known. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation.